buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. Hey, before we start today's episode, I wanted to bring you in on the best kept secret in B2B sales. If you're serious about social selling and your only strategy is cold DMs through LinkedIn, you're missing the mark big time. Learn how a fully managed revenue generating podcast can change your life and your pipeline at salescast.co. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. Today, I've got Nick Cavado. Uh, he is a people catalyst, brand strategist, and executive business consultant for today's most influential brands. In addition to his accomplishments as a business consultant with Fortune 500 companies like Verizon, Microsoft, and Paychex, Nick serves as an inspirational figure, activating the next generation of global leaders. Very excited. We've got some nice topics planned out today. Um, and I know that we're going to have a ton of fun. So Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Colin. Appreciate it, man. Glad to be here. Yeah. So just give us a little bit of background. Tell us a little bit about your professional um, sales story. Yeah, man, absolutely. So uh, in high school, actually, I started working at Circuit City. For those who remember the big box store, that was the red version of Best Buy. <laughs> and and uh, I remember their ads were always like just absolutely extreme, like really bold colors. Like, you know, it was actually a really cool place to work because it was a reflection, I think, truly of the people who worked there. A lot of big personalities. We had a lot of fun. Um, but my sales journey started there because um, I was actually the number three salesperson, the whole company working part time. And uh, I really developed the strong arm for for sales by being the most trusted person in the room. And so that's what I hope to talk about a little bit today is, you know, how we can position the right strategies in sales and also learn from your expertise as well, because I think there's a lot of common threads here as we've had a chance to chat beforehand. And uh, I'm excited to share with your audience. So thanks. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, how do, how do you become number three by only working part time <laughs> in a company amongst like how many salespeople? Oh man, I mean, literally five figures of salespeople in that in that organization. Um, the trick was number one, I had a great mentor, and um, the gentleman who actually ran the store. It was a top performing store uh, in the whole company, and you know, high school education started selling when he was sixteen, and um, he really gave me the confidence and I think the skill <clears throat> training through osmosis to have the competence to understand the most valuable things in sales. And I mean, at that time, he's running, you know, a multi-million dollar location that, you know, is producing, you know, nine or uh, rather eight figures in, in revenue. 
And um, what, what was interesting was he was in his early 20s. And so finding the proper mentor who can take raw talent of somebody. I've always been a people person. You know, I grew up in church my whole life. You know, my parents were in spiritual leadership. And so I was always around people and understood people well. My, I'm a fifth generation entrepreneur. So business was kind of bred within me. But I think the unique trick was, you know, honestly, breaking down the process for people between two options. So people would come in and here's my classic role. It was like building that rapport initially, building that trust initially through just, hey, what's up? How's life? What's going on? You know, like I already know they've done all their research walking in. These people are coming in specifically to have an outcome that they want a you know confidant to be beside them to help them get over the finish line because they have the objections of their wife and how much it costs. And I saw people yeah. do shady stuff with credit applications and all this. And for me, I just was their trusted confidant, the person who really allowed them to have the proper fit of the product into what it was in their intended purpose. So I'd ask them a simple question. So what do you watch more of, movies or sports? And if they said movies, I pointed them toward, towards the Sony XBR. If they said sports, I pointed, pointed them towards the Samsung uh, LCD. It was so simple. I didn't have to get into contrast ratios and all these different aspects around, you know, Steve Jobs talks about this, but all the features and all the speeds and the fees and all that. I didn't even go yeah. there. I just said, oh, this is the one you're going to want right here. And what did that do? It created a confirmation bias to what they already knew was true from all the research that they've done. So it was pointing them in the right direction, but really understanding the buyer and what their intent was. And by the way, if I knew they weren't going to buy, I would let them go explore for all the time they wanted to. But when they walked back in the store to buy, who do you think they came to? They didn't talk mm -hmm. to anybody else. They came directly to me. So it was the opportunity to provide, yes, the opportunity to close the sell. But I know that, you know, between three to 5% of people are ready to buy right now. Some are ready to buy soon, another 15%. Everybody else is not going to buy for a while. So I played the long game while also capitalizing on what was right in front of me. And that's what which earned is, me Which a, is a pretty rare in a retail sales environment, right? Totally. So, totally. I mean, I'd imagine that allow you to, allowed you to stand out in a big way amongst you know, other people that they could buy these things from, right? Because, I mean, they could buy a TV anywhere. Anywhere. At that time. Now Absolutely. it's a little less limited. Now it's a little more limited. Yeah. There's not as many places, but um, you know, at that time, I mean, you can buy a TV anywhere. Totally. And knowing the intent of the buyer was huge because when I had to make special things happen, I had the relationship with the people around me, uh, my team, you know, management, and I had the reputation that was like, hey, if you come to us with this special off, we're going to honor it because you know it's not like you're doing it every time just to get the ball over the line. So that was huge. And I mean, and that's awarded me the opportunity to do over $200 million in sales to, to the, this point today and manage billions of dollars worth of products. I mean, it's, it's very rare for somebody who's 34 to have that uh, reputation in the industry and to have that CV and to have the receipts to prove it. Um, but that's just been my journey. So it's been a ton of fun, man. So I absolutely love the process of helping people get what they want. <laughs> <laughs> which is sales, right? Yeah. Which, is the, which is the art of sales. Yes, 100%. So tell me after, you know, um, your part-time number three in retail sales, then, then, then what did you do next? Yeah, I went to the hospitality industry. Uh, so during college, I went and worked at the Breakers Hotel in South Florida, which is one of the premier hotels in the world, um, and learned a lot around the hospitality industry. Because again, understanding people, it was great in the sales environment. And I learned even more, uh, in my opinion, in the, um, in the hospitality industry. Um, and from there, after working in the hospitality industry and understanding, you know, how to basically get in front of what people wanted, you know, I'd be, you know, hosting a, an event of, you know, 
a thousand people and these are all NFL football players and one of their friends got married. And here I am like I stand at the valet line pulling up Ferraris and Rolls Royces and you know, people waving $100 bills and you have to understand how to manage the expectations of people and you know how to win them over and how to build again the affinity and the trust to be like, I got you, I'll take care of this. So that was a really cool angle of support, which I think is ultimately required in sales as well. For, for people who think you could just close a deal and walk away and never have to deal with it again. Um, it's just not true. Certainly not if you want a reputation that's, you know, worth following. So, you know, I think it's this mode of sales and service and support. Um, and really, again, the, I think the best strategy ever in sales is to actually care, to mm. really give a shit about the end user. And that's why I love what, you know, big tech has brought. Uh, if it gets too big, it gets complicated. But a lot of tech companies, a lot of SaaS companies that are tech focused. They're really going off of the user experience and then building the product accordingly. And for somebody who's managed a lot of products and a lot of dollars and cents and products, product validation is the most important thing to get the proper fit to the proper person. Yeah. So I'm curious because you've had a lot of a couple of things, right? Like how to win people, um, how to build trust and rapport. And, you know, how to, you know, basically you touched on how to give, you know, basically the best thing in sales is to actually just give a shit, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. like not about your commission or the transaction, but about the actual person. Yeah. Um, when I'm just curious, like, when did you start to really dig into these learnings? Or did you have like a mentor or was there certain resources that you sought out? Because this is pretty much the opposite of the way most people sell. Mm-hmm. Um, people mostly you know, uh, don't care about that, those types of things, especially early on in their sales career. Maybe they evolve or at some point, um, but right out the gate, people typically are not selling that way. Yeah. Well, you'll pick up on something I mentioned early on, which is the process of getting people the things that they want. The minute that them uh, purchasing is your idea and not theirs, you've lost. Like you might as well just stop right there mm. because now they feel like they're being sold to. And I don't know about you, but I ask salespeople this question all the time. When was the last time that you enjoyed being sold to? And the reality is none of us like that. Almost never. Yeah, never. <laughs> you know, like maybe one time when I bought a Ferrari and I was so grateful that the guy pushed me over the edge. But you only can ever... one time when I didn't have to talk to a salesperson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the concept is like, you know, where can you find yourself in this chasm between these two realities of I have a goal to hit Yet I have someone who has a problem and business is simply solving a problem for a profit. So, so where can I find the balance? And I think the balance is in having open hands and holding rather loosely to the reality that you cannot control the outcome. You can only ever move someone's readiness one degree. And I learned this from Robert White, mm. who wrote the book, The Extraordinary Life. He built a 40 plus million dollar coaching business. He was the godfather of the human potential movement in the United States. He was a client of mine. You only can ever move someone one degree of readiness. So for me, a lot of my temperature measuring when I would actually interact with someone in my rapport building was centralized on how ready are they on a scale of one to 10. And if they were anything below a seven, I wouldn't even bother attempting. If you're in the convincing stage of selling and not the influence stage of selling, again, you've lost. People don't need to be convinced. They'll convince themselves. They're looking for a confidant, not even necessarily a collaborator. Uh, collaborator, excuse me, and certainly not, you know, somebody who's going to, you know, uh, just try to push them into a product because they think it's their best idea. You're trying to find the perfect moment, the perfect message for the perfect person at the perfect time. And that's the equation to getting the ball over the line. And there's one other thing I'm going to mention. And I'd love your feedback on this, man. 
Yeah. Yeah. If you want feedback, ask for money. And if you want money, ask for feedback. Get yourself in the position. I'm going to say it again. For those of you who are like, wait a second, what did you just say? If you want feedback, ask for money. Trust me, they'll tell you all the reasons why they won't buy. If you want money, ask for feedback. Hey, I have a, we have a new product. We have a new service. We have this new thing going on. I'd love your thought on this. I'd love your feedback on this. And it's amazing when you do that in front of the right people and you have the right pitch that's coming from a place of passion and not a place yeah. of like, I need you to do this and you're chasing the towel of the money. It's amazing what happens. So that has been a foundational well, by asking for, for the feedback. Yeah. By, by asking for the feedback, it makes it a more collaborative experience. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so the prospect is more bought into, you know, what it is because they're a part of it rather than the salesperson telling them or trying to persuade them to move them forward. Right. Exactly. Um, but um, I had a question for you and then, uh, okay, I know what I was going to say. So, the, here's, I think, where the because I, I I totally hear what you're saying, right? And I think that some people maybe say, "Oh, okay, I get that." You know, help them, um, you know, s- solve this thing that's most important to them. But most people, ha- where I think a lot of sellers tend to struggle, is finding out what the most important thing is, because often the the buyer, your prospect may not even know exactly what that is, or they might tell you some particular things, but a lot of times folks don't dig deep enough to really get down to like, what is the most important thing that you need to solve? Mm -hmm. And am I even the right fit to solve that for you? And then being disciplined enough to disqualify, like, hey, this is not the perfect fit. You don't, you know, actually care about solving this thing that you think you do. Yeah, you know, getting the wrong uh, product fit to the wrong customer is just a monster that will grow. And that's the surest way to reduce yeah. your credibility, your reliability, and the intimacy with that client. And when you do that, that's what stops the ability, again, for you to create a steady stream of opportunity because you'll ruin your reputation. And that's why in personal branding, which is an area that I have a lot of expertise in, that's centralized around protecting the mode of credibility, reliability, and intimacy. Because without those, you're, again, in a position of where you're going to be stuck. So I think if we rewind the process and go back to this truth, it's a virtue in sales. The best strategy ever is to care. When you truly care, you have the empathy and the authority to help them get what it is that they want. Relating with them, understanding with them, connecting with them on human foundational values that are rooted in psychology. If they have kids, great. Talk about those things first. And we've all heard these things, but I'm saying people will likely buy from you more because of your energy and your story than they will because you have the perfect product. They're going to buy from you because they like you and because they trust you, because you're reliable and credible and you've created a sense of intimacy with them. That's the reason why when people walked back in the door, they didn't just go to another person. I created a common bond with them based on humanity and not Mm -hmm. based on buy my shit. So there's a there's a fracture point there of when our priority as salespeople, because I'm one of us, when we place yeah. our needs above that of the client is, again, where the whole thing goes sideways. So I think that trust is the most valuable commodity that you can find. And that's rooted in empathy and true care. Um, so that, that's been that's been an absolutely huge thing for me. But, you know. Here's a really simple one, man. And I love your thoughts on this. And and if you've done this before or how you've seen this operate in your world, in the concept of asking people for feedback, right? And truly caring. If you don't know what the answer to the question is of, are they the right fit? Are they ready? Why don't you just ask them? 
Why don't you ask deep questions <laughs> around what do you want? I do this all the time. What do you want? Most people don't know. They just know what they don't want. And if I ask you what you want, yeah. I'm going to go to three different variables. What are your external challenges? The things outside of you. What are your internal challenges? And do this is the golden nugget. What are your philosophical challenges? Because if their philosophies be, is broken, be it that there has to be a better way. If I mean, I've leveraged HubSpot to do over $50 million in sales. And they did a case study on one of the companies I worked for forever ago. It was because there had to be a better way. When we introduced social media marketing, why did it work? It's an arbitrage. Why? Because there had to be a better way. So my question to you is, mm. what does that conversation look like when you're truly trying to get to the root? And how have you seen it show up in your life of where somebody is in that position going like, I could really just ask. And what was that outcome for you? And or how have you seen these new technologies and modalities been part of, I guess, you finding your secret sauce in your process? Well, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I love this thought of asking for feedback to get money, right? Um, and people, get, people, I think, often are scared to ask for feedback, right? Well, it's, oh, because if I ask, then they're going to tell me they're not ready or they're not going to buy, right? And then on the other side of it, too, you're, we're human beings, right? So your prospect, your buyer, um, sometimes they're not skilled enough to give you feedback. Like the reason salespeople get ghosted all the time is because per, diff, certain personality types don't like conflict. And me, the buyer, if I tell you, Nick, hey, I'm not ready to buy, it's not a good fit. I don't want you to then try to pressure cook sales, you know, sell me, or I don't want to deal with that conversation. So I just avoid it. Right. So, but if you, as the seller, if you set the table properly from the beginning and I say, Nick, hey, at any point in this journey together, because we're going to be spending some time, you know, AKA the buying process, um, if it's not a right fit or you don't want to move forward, don't worry. Let me know. I'm totally okay with that. There's plenty of people that I can help, but I'd rather you just be honest and let me know. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I can handle it. You know, I'll put my big point pants on. Whatever that <laughs> looks like. And even you can do that and they still might not, but it's going to increase the likelihood that when you ask for that feedback, you're going to get it. Or they'll at least feel a little bit more comfortable giving it to you. And it's not going to work. It's not foolproof. It's not going to work every time. But if you don't set that expectation from the beginning, then you have this big bloated pipeline that never closes and all of these people that you thought were going to buy that don't. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's really good feedback, man. And I think, um, you know, to, to point out the effectiveness of that process, sometimes I'll even take it a step further and I'll say, if I can't help you, I will help you find someone who can. Why? Because yeah. I'm trying to win that trust early. So they know that I'm in it for them. It's not for the outcome. The outcome is the outcome. I believe in my mind that it's predetermined. When I did the process of ask for feedback and, you know, then generate the resources, I did $250,000 worth of coaching on a product that's not even my primary product in a week. Why? Because my heart was rooted in service. I didn't need to do it. I wanted mm -hmm. to do it to give a gift to people. And the outcome of that was incredibly strong. There's an old uh, proverb that says, if you chase two cats, you catch none. The reality <laughs> is if you're trying to chase the outcome of what you want and you're trying to chase the outcome of hitting your goal and like all that, you're, you're not going to catch either of them. So pick one, pick the yeah. one thing that always works, which is if you truly believe and you have the passion and you're impassioned to ensure that the product that you're responsible for contributing into the world 
if you truly believe that that matters, you can't shut them up. Look at televangelists. You can't shut them up. Why? Well, they're impassioned. No matter how positive or negative someone might view that, they're impassioned with their message that they're carrying. And so that's how I book, you know, 12 to 15 group sales calls every single week. I do it because I'm like, hey, would you like to brainstorm around getting clients and leads? Let me know. I'm getting a group of people together. It's ridiculous. It's so incredibly simple because it's a primary need. It's a simple ask. And I bring people into that environment and I have no expectations. I have an expectation of myself to show up powerfully, to contribute something that's meaningful into the world. Another way of saying, you know, you guys have probably heard this before, you know, to offer and provide value. What that means is be useful. Useful is another way of of an equation of the word being valuable is to be useful. When you tell a prospect, if I can't help you, I will help you find someone who can. Talk about being useful. All their defenses just came down. And the process of being ghosted, I think it's just like relationships. I tell people all the time, if you spent more time understanding how to communicate, I'd say this to you know, different guys and my buddies, whatever, if you, who are in sales, if you've spent more time figuring out how to communicate to girls on Tinder, you'd be way more effective at sales. <laughs> and here's the deal. When you see a 10 and you're like, wow, here's the reality. Replace her head with mine and have a yeah. conversation with me. And all of a sudden, again, all the insecurities and the defensive mechanisms and the, how do I approach it? How do I talk to the salesperson? Shit, I got a week. I got to hit my goal. Just have a conversation with a human being. Be real, be open, be credible, be reliable, be trustworthy. Create intimacy on common bonds, common, sometimes common wounds. It works. Mm -hmm. And when you do that effectively, you win over the person they want you to win just as much as they do. It's the number one negotiation tactic. Everyone has to win or it has to be perceived as such, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So I want to kind of shift gears. This is, this is all super valuable. So, you know, people that are listening, you may want to go back and listen to this one again, because tons of, uh, tons of gems here for you. Now I want to talk a little bit about the work that you do today. Um, and I know that you have a kind of a hybrid experience of sales and marketing, which is, is unique. So when did you kind of shift more into marketing? And let's talk a little bit about what the work that you do today. Yeah. So I I shifted into marketing, um, about a decade ago, uh, once I realized the power of personal brands and uh, I truly believe that people are the world's most powerful brands. I don't think that people buy from companies anymore. I think they buy from people. No. And people uh, don't want to follow company pages. Not um, at all. Yeah. Try try doing that yeah. campaign. I mean, people it's brutal. People want to relate. People want to be understood and, you know, related. They want to be, they want to connect with people that they can relate to. Um, and they want to have the feeling of, you know, connection. And you don't connect with a brand, you connect with another human being. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. And a lot of those soft skills are just increasingly becoming so important. And, you know, so my encouragement is to not be a manipulator in the process of sales, but to be an illuminator. And I think that was the shift for me between sales and marketing. It was understanding that uh, my highest um, competency was in people. It was people mastery. And so that's why I was great at sales. And when I applied it to marketing and digital marketing, I ran my first Facebook ad in 2009. So, I mean, we're going back some time, just over a decade. And so for me, it's understanding that being a digital native was really powerful, connecting the right people to the right products, getting the right message in front of the right person at the right time. Um, that allowed me to focus on a, on a truth that my mentor, Mike Kim, told me. He said, marketing is about opening a relationship, not closing a sale. 
if mm. you spend more time in opening new relationships, it's a boomerang that comes back 10x as long as you are credible, reliable, and create intimacy with the people that you choose to work with. And um, so that positioning and that shift for me into marketing uh, led into non-direct response. I, I, I really am not a great direct response type of marketer. You know, let me convince and let me stage the proper words at the right place at the right time so that you can, you know, figure out exactly how to buy this product. And if you act now, then you get uh, to me, that's just like cortisol and DQ I uh, in, uh, decrease. <laughs> so you increase the cortisol, you stress them the heck out and then they're decrease their IQ. And they're like, I have to do this now. I'm not in the modality or in the business of convincing people of anything. I'm in the business of being a catalyst to push people in the right direction towards the things that they're really passionate about and to solve, you know, very practical problems with very practical solutions. So marketing, I think, enabled me the ability to start the relationship journey early. And I also saw tremendous growth in the industry that looked really attractive in the tech space. So, um, so yeah, I did that. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. And so, yeah, now I kind of hybrid it. You know, it's, it's focused on that human to human connection. And I now empower the results that we drive through sales. I do it through marketing and train teams on on both sides of the equation, which is pretty rare. Usually it's like, you know, peanut butter and jelly. You've heard that, right? Sales and marketing, like peanut butter yeah. and jelly. You've got a great salesperson with like a marketing arm, you know, then you don't have the awareness you need or the leads you need. And then if you have the other way around, it's like you have all these opportunities, you're building your audience, but you're not actually offering anything to sell. And so I kind of have the unique combination of both and a, a level of mastery that I think is worth respecting. So... I worked my butt off for it. So, so when people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you've you've had a lot of accomplishments. We didn't even get to cover. We didn't even scratch the surface um, because we, you know, try to keep it tactical here. Oh yeah, so, man, hundred um, percent. At the end here, we'll, we'll give everybody, you know, your links <laughs> and stuff like that, so yeah. they can link up with you. But um, so I'm curious, when, when what what sort of problem do people have when they come to you and they're like, I need to hire Nick. Usually they, um, they're focused on uh, the reality that they don't know how to solve a problem as it translates to sales and marketing. And this goes on the enterprise level um, all the way down to you know, a solo entrepreneur. Um, and I, I'm grateful that I have a mix of the audience as just kind of being a thought leader in the space that I can you know, pick and choose. And in different seasons, I do pick and choose. I've had ops come from Fortune 500s and I'll pick an entrepreneur doing 100K a year instead because it's based on my energy and my intent my intuition of what's the right thing. My intuition is my compass. So I got to know where I am and where I'm going. Mm -hmm. My intellect is my calculator to go like, how does this make sense in my world? And protecting my energy is, is a really, really important thing when I'm leading into new ops. So, I mean, that's been a foundation for me that's been really strong as far as knowing who the right people are to work with and what that concept looks like in different seasons. Um, but yeah, that's primarily it, man. Take, it takes a lot of discipline. A I mean, ton. You, t you, you ask some, you know, early people, early in a sales role or new role or early startup who your ICP is, then they're like, I don't know, whoever's willing to pay us. <laughs> you know? I'm big on variety, man. I'm like, I've got to have variety in my world. Has that showed Whoever up for you too? Check. Has that showed up for you too? It's like, I, yeah. I can look at an ICP yeah. for me. Like I just, corporate is so slow for me. It can be really challenging, but when it's a company doing really good things, that's what creates the tension point for me because I know that's a mass scale effect. But when it comes mm -hmm. down to core ICP, I love working with early stage entrepreneurs and startup founders. Um, but at, at the same time, like I have to, you know, ensure that I keep making record years. So it's a tension, right? You experience the same thing? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And and something that you you touched on that's important too is 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 your energy, right? Is this gonna, you know, light me up? Am I gonna enjoy working with this individual or is this gonna, you know, suck me dry? <laughs> Dude, it's a it's a weekly exercise. It's called drainers and drivers. And I would encourage every salesperson to do this who's listening yeah. because um I think that it gets you do get into that dry place of where you feel overwhelmed, frustrated, and then you're like trying to force things. And it's like playing golf. It's like when you get really frustrated, you like want to snap that golf club in half. Yeah. Then you can't hit the ball. You're hitting divots. You're swinging it, slicing it to the right. So the reality is uh, to take a step back and to and to observe and drainers and drivers. What's draining you right, mm. right now? What's driving you? When you exhaust the list, ignore the drainers and focus on the drivers. And it's an amazing exercise that really yeah. helps shift the perspective for your energy. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Most, a lot of people have their tasks or, you know, how they structure their day or things to do or revenue generating activities. Um, but few people know like, Hey, what things should I not be doing? You, almost <laughs> yeah, think you gotta yeah. have a list. Of, Here's what I'm not going to do today. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. hundred yeah. percent. You're absolutely right. Awesome. Nick, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation here. Tons of valuable stuff for the listeners. But if people want more and they want to connect with you, where can they go? Yeah. So you can check me out on LinkedIn. I'm a, For the first time in 12 years, I'm a little on a little bit of a hiatus on social. So I'm taking some time off. So depending upon when you're listening to this, but everywhere you can find me at Nick Cavuto. And um, yeah, that's uh, the best place to find me. And you can search my name on different podcasts and things and you'll find a whole bunch of juicy nuggets of some cool experiences that have happened in my life. And my goal is to contribute and to give generously without any expectation of return. So if there's any way I can serve, any way I can help, please feel free to reach out. Awesome. We'll drop the link there in the show notes for everybody. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. It really does help us out. And as always, you can give us some feedback over at salestransformation.fm. Drop me a voice DM and I will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad and I might even give you free access to our best templates.